Welcome back to another episode of Reversing Course, the golf course restoration at Wakanda Club. I'm Rianne Kinney. I'm the general manager here at Wakanda. I have here with me our golf course superintendent, Dane Wilson, and our director of golf, Aaron Kruger. Gentlemen, welcome. Hey, good morning. Morning. Welcome to the card room this morning. We are another week in. Dane, what's the update? Well, we're to the point where days feel like weeks. And, uh, <laughs> you know, everything's moving really well. So, <clears throat> you know, kind of as we talked last week, our goal was to be seeding three to four holes a week. And while we felt like we had number three in our back pocket, uh, by the end of the week, we were able to seed uh, two and four. And then on Monday, we seeded 18. We're looking at seeding 17 green today and then prepping the T area on one and four, getting that seated possibly today. Then we do either one or 16 tomorrow, just depending on the prep work, most likely 16, and then uh, number one thereafter. So we're kind of hitting that three to four holes a week target and um, really looking forward to moving ahead. So as we are seeding, how long does it usually take for us to see that starting to germinate? Uh, four days. Okay. And so um, what we planted number two last Thursday, so we saw germ germination early yesterday morning. Um, I'm expecting to see something off of number four either this afternoon or first thing in the morning tomorrow, and then 18, we should see something by the end of the week. And 17 green gets seeded today, today, you said? Yep. Okay, so then we'll start seeing that one come in too. Yeah, early next week. What about the other greens that we are needing to seed? What's the plan for those? So the other greens that we're needing to seed, we have um, five greens shaped have drainage in. We have 15 approved for drainage. Um, and then number nine, we're actually going to do the tieback work on the green expansion for number eight, get rid of the rest of the sod. So nine will get shaped. Uh, probably early next week because we have uh, Jim Ryan, Tyler Ray's associate. We've got him just working on a few other things just to kind of push us ahead. Um, so he's working on the tees on 17 right now. Then he's going to hit the bunker on number five because we have switched over from our old system pump station to our new pump station, which is a good feeling. <clears throat> so with that being said, the changes that we needed to make to five, we had a 10 inch main line going through where we need to push out. So that's all shut down. So we'll start working on that. Then he'll go to 14 and then early next week, get him on nine. So ultimately the goal is uh, for those five greens specifically is end of this month. So within the next two weeks, we should have all those seeded. So going back to the irrigation system, we are now fully using the new irrigation system. Correct. <clears throat> and we had main lines on five on the old irrigation system that were in the way of progressing on work on five. Correct. Like we talked about, so we were, you know, short term wise, we needed to get moving. And so what we did, we made that connection with the old main line system into the new main line. But even at that, we were using a three inch, you know, pipe to fuel a brand new system. So we're limited in how much we can run. We registered our computer at 300 gallons a minute, and then we would offset the seeding cycles to only run one hole at a time so that we can maintain pressure on each hole. But per those limitations, you know, if we were to get past two, three holes, then we wouldn't have had that ability to, it wouldn't have been sustainable. Okay. So making that, making that switch to the new system, you know, 
we can do whatever we want. And are we finding that the new system, you've tested it and everything's working well? Yeah, I mean, everything's working well. I mean, the issue that we had last week was uh, there was a broken closed valve for the city main, so eliminating their city loop. And so as we were trying to pull pressure in, <clears throat> pull water in, the, uh, the inlet pressure would drop down to two or three and then the pump station would shut down. So we would only get up to four or 500 gallons a minute before we lose the pump station. So with the repairs that they've made, thank you Waterworks, but um, we ran our test and we actually drop out now around 1,050 or 1,100 gallons a minute. So at least 1,000 gallons a minute, that gets us what we need to do to move forward. The pump station re is registered to go up to 1,500 gallons a minute. So like I said, we can do whatever we want with it now and move forward. But I think there is a question to ask in terms of can we divert more flow our way should we need to. How does that compare to the flow from the old pump station? Um, looking at it, I think there's some tweaks that we can do too because our, our old pump station was set at a pressure of uh, um, or a static pressure of 130 psi and being on the bottom of the hill I mean it was necessary to push water up right. but this new pump station we've actually got it set at 100 psi because we're moving water down. Mm -hmm. So kind of looking at it and then talking with our irrigation contractor, I think it's also feasible to set our static pressure even around 90. So we might play with some of those, you know, controls of the pump station, which would help our inlet pressure and possibly get us, you know, <clears throat> more gallons a minute, even just through that scenario. And that's all energy savings too. Correct. Yeah. So are you noticing, what are the biggest differences that you notice with the new irrigation system from the old one? I mean, part of the reason why we, we embarked on this whole project was because this irrigation system kind of led us through all of it. We had to do this first. It was 30 years old or pushing 30 years old. We needed to address it. So what are you, I guess, most excited about and the differences that you're seeing with the new irrigation system? I think, um, <clears throat> I think, I'm just saying, it's hard to quantify that right now to some degree. Sure. Only reason being because, say, we're only one day in with this new pump station. So short term, my biggest thing is once we're done here, I'm going to go up and actually take a look at the overnight readings and just see what, you know, we used overnight, which we didn't run any water. But with the old station, you know, all the, whether it be small leaks or um, head seeping or anything like that, we would typically use 3,000 gallons a minute, or not a minute, but 3,000 gallons overnight just to maintain pressure in the system. Wow. So what I'm curious to see is, you know, especially with this HDPE pipe, brand new heads, how much water we needed to maintain pressure overnight, which I've got to assume is going to be less than a couple hundred. Wow. So it's a combination of things. There's the actual pump station itself, the pump, the control systems, all pipes, of that. Heads. And then there's the pipes, the heads, and everything out in the field. So yeah. in our old irrigation system, we were having issues with all of it and backflow issues with the uh, in the pump station and, and all of those things too. So we've really been able to obviously address all of that with this new system yeah and knock on wood but um, <clears throat> something that I have not been accustomed to in past grow-ins is um, is a brand new system and so we were using old systems to grow in these golf courses but 
inherently, you know, you get stuck heads or heads that don't pop or they get stuff in them. But to this point, we haven't really had any issues with that. So that's a good feeling because whenever you're trying to grow something in and you get a stuck head, that's like the worst thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like you said, now we can really progress forward with the seeding as well. Now that we have an irrigation system functioning on all the entire property. Yeah, this is pretty much the last thing that we needed to really feel comfortable about moving forward. Yeah. So we had a few surprises this week. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, we... Well, we tried to do this yesterday, and that didn't last very long. Right. Um, my phone started blowing up, you know, shortly as we started. But uh, Wadsworth had three golf carts stolen yesterday, and then they used one of the carts as a battering ram to bust through one of our gates on number seven T. And so <clears throat> we filed the report. Luckily, the two rental vehicles that they had had GPS tracker on them, and so intermittently throughout the day, those two vehicles were paying. Um, you know, showing us where they were at. And we had one by the ballparks next to the Raccoon River off park. We had one in Windsor Heights. And by the end of the day, they were both in the same spot. And the uh, vice president of Wadsworth took it as a mission to go get his carts back. And, uh, he and they up, were recovered. He ended up finding them both buried in the brush next to the Raccoon River and wow. pulled them out and got them back in. Wow. Okay. Very exciting day. Very exciting day. Good. I'm glad that they were recovered, and mm. uh, that was a. It was not as exciting in the morning no. as what the day ended up. So we ended a lot better than we started. That's right. And thanks to Troy for mending the fence. Yeah. Yeah. Troy fixed the fence too. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that stuff stuff happens every now and then. So. Yeah. There was no damage to the golf course turf. No, not to the. I mean, the side of the property that they were on. I mean, I guess. They did some donuts on 8 Fairway, but 8 Fairway's dead, so... Go ahead. Go ahead, by all means. Let's not go ahead anymore. <laughs> not, not anymore. Yeah, let's... Don't encourage it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, this week we are going to answer questions from our listeners. Uh, we have uh, quite a few questions that came in that we are excited to answer for everyone. Some are from our members here at Wakanda, some are from others, and so... Uh, we were we thank everyone for sending your questions in and we're happy to to go through them so the first question and this kind of goes along with what we were just talking about as far as seeding and that's kind of the process we're in right now but there are areas on the course that are seeded some hydro seeded and some sodded can you Dane go through the differences and why <coughs> we're doing those different approaches in those different areas yeah, so um, a lot of the areas that are being hydro-seeded or mulched, um, those are our bare areas on the golf course, meaning um, those are areas where we did a lot of earthwork and or rototilled, and so they're just bare dirt. So in order to hold moisture within those areas, we either put straw mat or hydro, or hydro mulch. So the difference is, um, from what we kind of learned on number three, is the straw mat, and it's what I've used in the past. I tried doing the hydro mulch in the fairways. I just didn't like how wet it stayed so that you know ended up getting some algae and whatnot in there and i just don't feel like we had a great germination in those areas so we've switched tactics and we've used straw mat on our approaches for sure and then any bare areas that are on the fairways and then we use the hydro mulch for the rough and then the sodded areas right now we've got um, 40,000 40, square feet per hole that we can use 
and we're tracking that. Some holes are going to use more, some holes are going to use less, but, um, and that's of sod, I mean. Mm -hmm. So we're obviously anything around the clubhouse parking lot, we wanted to make an impact for sure. And so that's why we kind of sodded all those areas. But we're also using that, you know, in an effort to do some of our steeper slopes and just, you know, get those established before, you know, have a chance to wash out before seed can germinate or anything mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And the biggest thing, too, <clears throat> for the sod that we've always talked about, without a doubt, I mean, we're going to do a decent amount around tees, but main priority is to kind of reclaim around all of our green complexes because mm -hmm. we've had such a hodgepodge of contamination throughout those. And so just to get consistency around greens for sure, we're, we're probably going out a little further than we probably should, but oh, that's I think so it's great yeah. though, be that Contamination was... being so many different kinds of grass right. in yeah. that area. Right. And bent grass out in the, in the rough areas and just, it's, yeah. it was a, a whole hodgepodge yeah. around the greens, especially. So that's that's good to hear that we're actually taking that approach and going a little bit further out and being a little bit more aggressive mm -hmm. with that. Yeah, kind of rule of thumb that I'm going on right now is at least a minimum of 10 yards outside of the green. Yeah. And there's other ones where we go further. You know, the right side of one green, we went all the way down to the toe of the slope. 11, we're going to take that whole slope off the right side, even as it's out into the fairway, and just redo that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And that's all in our budget. We budgeted to do a certain amount of sod, just like you said. Yep. Um, and we're well within that. Yeah. So what, what I'm doing is, you know, we go and GPA, GPS these areas for sod. They give me a square footage and I input it into an Excel document. So I'm tracking it as we go through, knowing that, say, on two, we used um, <clears throat> like 28,000 square feet. Three, we used... Um, 18,000 square feet and so if we're on that 40,000 square feet average then that way I can I'm kind of keeping that in my back pocket so we can hit some of these key areas and or address issues on other other holes or next spring or next even. spring mm -hmm. if yeah. we see that there's some areas that didn't come sure. through that we let how we wanted we can yeah and then inevitably there will be yeah. some areas that we want to redo but um, you know short term right now we're kind of more so looking within our playing areas. And so there's a lot of ancillary areas in between holes that, you know, we're gonna need to maintain as hall roads or something like that where we can actually get around. Because if we pinch ourselves in, sure. then we won't have access to anything. Right. Uh, next question was on the bladder on 18. Uh, do you want to explain? This, this thing is huge. Yeah. I mean, how big <laughs> is this? bladder sitting on the side of 18. The bladder on the left side of 18 is a 25 by 120 yard bag, or not yard, feet uh, bag. And so that was from uh, the dredging that we did mm -hmm. on 18 Pond. And so, you know, if you think about it, I mean, it's been sitting there and it's just silt. And so it's very fine, uh, you know, soil basically. And so we pump that out of the lake through tubes up to the bag. And then once it gets into the bag, which is permeable on the bottom side, not the top, then the water will end up bleeding out and it takes about two to three months to dry. Wow. So when that's all said and done and it is dry, all we have to do is cut open the bag, spread it out, and then seed it, and then we're done. Will that dirt be really good dirt, <clears throat> considered good dirt then? Um, or? Yes and no. I mean, it's... I've. I'd, I'd say it'd be really good to incorporate maybe into a divot mix or something like that. Right. But inevitably too. So, it's 
it has a tendency to be anaerobic as well, since it's been in the water and just sitting there in its muck, meaning there's no space for oxygen or, you know, whatever. So does the bladder itself, when we open it, this is a lot of questions about the bladder, but <laughs> does the bladder itself, when we open it, does it, is it, um, does it go away? Do we pull it out? Does it? Well, so we'll cut it open, you know, at the top and then, you know, we'll basically remove the top section and then spread it out. And so the bottom section will just stay there and just be buried. And it's, it, yeah. it's compostable. Yeah. Basically. Hmm. Interesting. That's a, thank you for answering that question on the bladder. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I'm glad to hear that it'll be gone in a Couple few months. months. Yeah. yeah. Um, next question is on cart paths. Uh, why are we not installing cart paths tee box to tee box, which would allow riders, riders to play when the course is saturated? Um, I think it's a number of reasons, but um, <clears throat> in our intention to restore this golf course, I mean, the, the one thing that can be unappealing, you know, is cart paths and view. And so we've already had a lot of that, not a lot, but uh, that's the reasoning for moving the cart path on number one, number 14. Uh, those are the two main ones, because as you play that hole, you're just staring at the cart path mm -hmm. all the way up. And then if we were to make those connections, I think uh, Aaron and I ran through the numbers. What, how many crossovers would we have to do? Uh, over 11. So you're talking about 11 holes where you've got a cart path that has to cross the fairway or in front of the tees or anything like that. So I will say, too, <clears throat> we looked at some, Aaron and I looked at some before and after photos, and the before and after so far on 18, for example, it's dramatic. Yeah. It, it is, I didn't realize how uh, obtrusive that cart path actually was that ran in front of the tees. Mm -hmm. Um, but now that it's not there, it's it's quite dramatic. It's a it's yeah. a great change. Yeah, and and all these are, um, you know, fourteen for example, as Dana was just mentioning, was was the the key one where you you just stare at a cart path winding up this this hole, and that's your focal point, whether it be as you play the hole or as you watch the television coverage of the Principal Charity Classic. That's really all you see looking from their camera perspective behind the green back to the tee. So to hide these cart paths is visually appealing. As Dane said, we, you'd have to, because of how our holes are oriented and where you start and finish um, the cart paths that we already have, unless we were to redo every single cart path on the entire property at an astronomical cost, you'd have to cross these over these fairways, um, either before or after hills. Now you've got issues with trying to hide them and, and too much slope on cart paths, which when they're sodden, it's too wet anyway. Um, and so you've got a very difficult logistical task so I think all these things combined with the expense of it so what what what, what would be the expense to do so if we if, if we went the conservative route which I think was on the low end of installing wall-to-wall -wall car paths we'd be looking at somewhere around 1.3 million to go wall-to-wall -wall. and our current in our current <clears throat> budget we're spending what on car paths a uh, hundred thousand so we're talking about a $1.2 million added expense. Yeah, yeah. And, and we've kind of talked about it too. I mean, you know, we, we talk about the course being saturated. And obviously in the past few years, I mean, I think we've been, you know, in a droughty period, obviously. Yeah. But 
even in my time since I've been here, I mean, I think on average, I think there's only been maybe five days a year where we actually say it's truly walking only, mm-hmm. you know, and so um, if we're talking about five days a year, yeah, I'll take those, especially for give the golf course a day of rest, but it would certainly help on the grow in um, and be able to let people play a little earlier, but still there's so many negative aspects of doing this it just did not make sense whatsoever okay all right thank you for that answer there um the next question has to do with combo tees Erin we've had some questions from our members about the uh, new tees we're going to have six tee boxes uh on each hole and so there's some questions about now that actually increases the the options that our members have to play um, but there have been some questions about possibly doing a combo T uh, scorecard. Mm-hmm. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So um, we're doing a lot of research as far as how the United States Golf Association, the Iowa Golf Association um, recommends dif- distances between tee boxes. As you just said, we have six new sets of tees ranging from approximately 7,200 yards down to 4,500 yards with ingro- with intervals between five and 600 yards per set of tees. And so what we need to do is get in and once all these tees are fully built and established, actually measure them and figure out what the, from the plan, what the actual yardages are. Uh, and then we would then compare those to how wide of a variance they truly are between sets of tees. And then factor in with the experience of the Iowa Golf Course uh, or Iowa Golf Association course rating team, uh, what the what the effective yardage plays per hole, whether it be impacted by uh, topography or slope or whatnot, and then figure if there's any holes in there. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a not a project that can go right now. We can't just go say, oh yeah, we think that there's a big difference between the white and the golds at uh, 600 yards so we're going to put a combo set of tees in and then just kind of randomly pick uh, we're going to do white here gold here white here gold there uh, you just can't do that and there's so more to it there's that. a lot more to that we're going to involve tyler ray in this process we're going to involve some members in this process uh, but we're going to take our time and do it right um, we want to make sure that we have a, a golf course that's playable for everyone that's a huge component of this restoration to spread out our yardages and, and the ability to play this golf course enjoyably Um, One of the things that we're going to find and we're going to preach to our members is that most people play a golf course that's too long for them. And so I'm excited for our members to be able to come out to this golf course when we reopen next year. And I would encourage them to play three different sets of tees for the first month. Don't play the same set of tees. Just try different sets and see which one you enjoy the most. It's not how... um, there's factors where you know there's guidelines on how far you hit your seven iron should dictate how far of a golf course yardage you play and the usga has published that data but i want you to be able to play this golf course and enjoy it Mm. and so that doesn't that might not mean that you play the white tees now because you did for the last 10 years Mm -hmm. so that's that's gonna be fun uh we're, we're we're discovering a new golf course and all of that takes time for us as 
operators and um, managers, and it takes time for the members to figure out what's best for them. Mm-hmm. And you can play, so say for you know ladies league. Yes, I go out uh, on Tuesdays with the ladies. Yeah, they can play whatever set of tees they want. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not just limiting them to red or or green. You could play the reds or the greens. You just we do that in all of our golf tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we had six sets of tees in play for the Blazer Day men's member guest this year. Mm-hmm. We just need to know in advance they're all rated individually. Your handicap can apply to those individually, and, and you can compete against um, you playing the red tees, Dane playing the white tees, me playing the gold tees. We could all play a match against each other from a different set of tees and still have it equitable. So. I, I think it's great, and I, I think that this research and the time that you're putting into it is is great to make sure that we get it right. Um, and you know, I think that especially for and that's it's probably selfish of me, but for the forward tee players, you know, there's been one option. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's really great that there there are now a few options even mm-hmm. that exist and to try because that didn't exist before. Yeah, and we might end up with a combo tee between the red and the green tees. We call it the Christmas no. tree, or the, Christmas tea, the Christmas tea, something. But <laughs> right. but those are different things that you have to pick the right hole. You have to right. Um, you have to be able to figure out what hole goes to what combo and and. Uh, those, those take a lot of time, and, and you have to kind of see the golf course as it's finished, mm-hmm. where bunkers are, where hazards are, and, and where all these lie. Okay. Thank you for that. Erin, uh, with you again, uh, question for you specifically. What hole do you think improves the most with the course changes? This is a hard one. Um, number two is the first one that jumps out to me. Uh, number two, just we've talked about this on the podcast. I've talked about it in tours. I think it's it, it was a hole that I think has changed many times over the years. And we had a green that was only playable in the front half of it. It was too small. The bunkers were too big. Um, it was very difficult to play for almost anyone. The angle from the red tees was really difficult. Um, and so I think that hole, even with the lower, small, tiny green, while it was unique and cool, it was still a very difficult shot because it sat in the valley and it was crowned up with super small green surrounded by bunkers. And it was just a very difficult hole. And what we saw was a struggle for pace of play to get the round started. You have a very hard hole on number one with an uphill long approach par four. Then you go to a really hard par three afterwards it's a recipe for um a half hour start to your round Mm. and kind of getting behind pace and so i think now with the redesign of number two the green is at least twice as big as the upper green yeah if not more um you've got room on the right right hand side to bail out which you didn't before and you're going to have a a green that's way more playable and a lot more pretty a lot more beautiful to look at I've been surprised at how much space we have. Yeah. Even though we're landlocked, it's crazy to yeah. me how much actual space we have within our footprint. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's been shocking to me. I, there's a lot of land here that we weren't utilizing. Yes. Uh, the next question, Dane, is going to be for you. It's regarding our trees, um, but it's uh, regarding our <laughs> memorial trees. So we have had historically uh, several memorial trees on the property that people have planted and put plaques up uh, near. 
And so the question is how many of the memorial trees remain on the course? And for the memorial trees that were removed, are there any plans to move the plaques uh, to new trees elsewhere? Yeah, so um, first thing that we had done is, I mean, we had an idea of where all these memorial trees were, but what we did is before even starting this tree removal process, we went out and inventoried all of them and then created a database on an Excel sheet. So in total, we had uh, 56 memorial trees, 34 of which are still on property. And so our plan with that, um, you know, if a tree were, be, were to be removed, first thing before we even took it out was we would just remove the plaque and then take it to our shop. We cleaned it up um, as best we could. Some of them have some rust and whatnot on them. So um, one of our goals over this winter is to like really clean them up and just uh, even sandblast them and just get them looking really nice. And then what we'd like to do is just offer the opportunity for these families to be able to either go out and pick a new tree and or if they would just like to keep the plaque themselves, they can do that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, <clears throat> like I said, with that database that we have, we've identified all these families and trees. And I think uh, towards the end of this year, once everything's grown in and we know what is staying, we'll start reaching out to those families and offer them those opportunities. And where we're planting new trees to. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. So that off- offers, you know, <clears throat> if, if they like a new tree or if there's an existing tree on property that they like and, you know, I think, um, that's what we've done, you know, in past projects, you know, in terms of these memorial programs is mm-hmm. just really offer them the opportunity to choose what they want. Okay. And this isn't unique to this project alone. We've lost memorial trees during the derecho. We've lost them to other storms in different times. It's the same process that we've used. Mm-hmm. If a tree were to have just die or, or have been lost in a storm. Okay. Thank you for that answer. Uh, question on what is the total project cost? And we are total project cost for the golf course seven point four million. Correct. And then we also have the six hundred thousand dollars at tennis that we're doing. Um, so eight million total in improvements happening at the club this year. So. Includes irrigation system. And that includes the irrigation system, correct? Which the irrigation system is almost half of of the project. So, uh, Dane. What excites you most about this project, the process or the finished project? <clears throat> I, to some degree, I feel like they both go hand in hand. I mean, um, the idea of taking something and then think about it like rearranging your house, right? So you move everything around, you tear it down, everything becomes in disarray, and then you have to put it all back together. But when you're done with it, I mean, you, you sit back and you just say, wow, this feels a lot better. This um, looks a lot better. Um, <clears throat> so I guess the process of it, you know, I do really enjoy just because there's an adrenaline aspect to it. You know, <clears throat> typically me uh, and our guys, I mean, I try to do the best I can and they do get some time off. But as it stands now, even before this project, I mean, no days off. We're here at five o'clock in the morning here till six thirty, seven o'clock at night but <clears throat> even if you're there that long it's just wild how it feels like 10 minutes <laughs> you know and so you, it's just you're always going you're always doing something organizing you know constructed chaos basically and so the process in general I just you know 
maybe the adrenaline junkie in me, just in terms of this, I want to go skydiving. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I, it's thrilling for sure. But then I've always, at the end of these, I've kind of looked back and then you take a moment and you kind of just think to yourself, where did the last year go? But when you look at the finished project, I mean, it's fulfilling, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. So okay. I, th- I think both really. It's, it's hard to answer that one because mm-hmm. they go... You know, by the time it's all said and done, you look back and you probably, like right now, I'm like, this is great. Love the process. But as soon as we open, I'm going to look back and I'm like, thank God that's over. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll switch gears once we get there. And be proud of what you're you're looking at. But you're setting yourself up for future success with maintenance going forward. It's going to be a very different process to maintain this golf course and probably a much more enjoyable one. Yeah, Mm. I think so. And, you know, just aesthetically pleasing and... Um, what would you call it? Um, streamlined, mm-hmm. you know, just everything that we're dealing with. Yeah. So efficient. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, we have one more question. This one was for me. Uh, what impact do you foresee on this restoration having on the membership of Wakanda? Uh, that's a big question. And I think that for me, the club itself, we knew the trajectory that the club was going in. We knew where we were headed. And so I think that this project, the impact has, the impact that this project has is that it has made the club viable for the future. And I think that we've seen in the industry clubs like this, just like Wakanda, um, over and over and over again, we know what that story looks like. We know how that story plays out. We know in our industry that we have 100-year-old clubs, 100-plus-year-old clubs who have not put the capital into the clubs that was necessary to keep it viable. And we know exactly how that plays out. We, know, we knew the path that we were heading down. Mm-hmm. So now we know the path that we're not heading down and we know that we are going to be a better club for many, many, many more years for our members. And Wakanda has been and always will be a very, very special place. You drive up here and you just feel it. You can see it. You can feel it. It just has an air about it. And um, we have ensured that that will remain for many years. And I am so excited for our members to be so proud of this club. Mm-hmm. And so I, as far as the impact of the, on the membership, um, value, viability, uh, longevity, uh, in history, we're building history. Mm -hmm. Something to be proud of too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think that our, I'm, I, every day I just, all, all that I want to see is our members be proud of what they of their club so that's what i hope that will happen and i I, members already are proud of their club of course uh but i hope that we can even add to that well said yeah absolutely okay well we are going into another week more seating to happen more and we'll see you here next week Sounds Sounds good. good. Hey, I just want to thank John Griffin. He runs the Langford Moreau Twitter account. John sent us some Langford Moreau hats this week with a beautiful note. 
he enjoys the podcast, and uh, we appreciate uh, all you do, John, with spreading the message and um, of what Langford and Moreau designed and their golf courses, and uh, appreciate the gift. Absolutely. Yeah, thank thank you. you, John, and I am going to wear this hat. There you go. Langford and Moreau hat.